Content warning. This series contains mentions of mental health issues, suicide, sexual abuse, and other sensitive subjects. This is your host, Andrew Pledger, and this is Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian Cult. I believe in inspiration and power, both the Old and the New Testaments, the creation of man by the direct act of God, the incarnation and virgin birth of our Lord and Savior. In this episode, I interview a survivor who had their sexual abuse claims mishandled at Bob Jones University, and this was after the Grace Report. I am so happy to have this next guest who is coming forward about their experiences at Bob Jones University. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and speaking about your experiences at this school. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm ready. <laughs> oh, yes. And I, I love the opportunity to give a platform to people who are ready to shed light on abusive situations and institutions and shedding a light on this podcast about Bob Jones University so before we get into the interview and talking about your experiences, could you tell a little bit about yourself of what you feel like you can and also what years you were at Bob Jones University? Mm -hmm. So I attended Bob Jones. My freshman year was 2019. I attended there for a year and then my time there got cut short by COVID, the infamous COVID semester. So I spent six months at home after my freshman year, and then came back sophomore year, super excited to be back with people that I loved. And then I actually got kicked out three weeks into my sophomore year. <laughs> so I was done a full year. And then I made the interesting decision to come back to Bob Jones fall of 2021. And I just graduated May of 2023. As far as other things about myself, I was an English major during my time there. I was able to build a really good community there of peers that I really trusted. So as much as I had a difficult time being a student there at times, I was really fortunate to run into people that I know will be in my life the rest of my life. Yeah, that's just the case of mine. <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think that is what's conflicting for a lot of people is we've had a lot of us had a lot of difficult experiences, but we also have met some incredible people people and some even faculty there too so it's like hard navigating those conflicting feelings about this institution has done a lot of harm but we've also have made some good friends and has some good experiences but I'm, I'm grateful you're on to talk about how they treated you and so I know you are here to talk about your experience specifically about them mishandling you coming forward about being sexually assaulted. And so I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And then you're re-traumatized through their response. But could you talk a bit about their response to you when you came forward? Yeah. So I feel like I have to give some necessary backstory going into it. So I had dated this guy his name is Ben was a five-month relationship and it started okay but over time it gradually progressed into something where I would say 
I was not comfortable with pushing a boundary of mine or doing something. And he would essentially look at me and say, why? We've already done it before. Like, your no doesn't really mean a whole lot this time. It took me forever to take it seriously and to label it for what it was. That is assault. That is rape. There was one time he looked at me. I was like, you better not testify in court one day and make these like silly claims that I raped you because no one's going to believe you. And it didn't even happen. And he laughed about it. So to him, it was a joke. And that was when it clicked for me. And I was like, oh, he labeled it for what it was. If he can recognize what it was and joke about it, why can't I take it seriously enough to do something about it? So COVID semester happened. We broke up literally the week before that. So my whole time at home was spent just thinking through what happened, trying to heal, trying to get to a point with myself where I was happy and could ask for help. So I went back to school August of 2020, and I had a friend at that time who, within the first week of school, was bragging to me about how she had done certain things with certain guys, had ridden in, like, somebody's trunk so she could get off campus and go on, like, a one-on-one thing with this guy. And so I was just concerned for her because I had done the same thing. And not that I had any problems with her breaking the rules. That where the concern came from. But it was, like, for her safety. So I more or less opened up and was like, hey, here's my experience with that. Just please be careful. Let someone know where you are. Please reach out if you don't feel safe at any time because I was taken advantage of much easier than I thought it would take. So I like I trusted her, told her pretty much everything. And we had been friends for a year and a half at that point. There were some red flags I should have seen in her loyalty, but I didn't. So... She told me it would be safe with her. She appreciated like my wisdom and stuff. And then fast forward maybe 24, 48 hours. She sits me down like after a class that we had and is, listen, we need to go get help because God is not punishing Ben. God is not doing his job and we need to punish Ben for him. Ben needs to be kicked out and we're going to do it. And you'll stay. We're not even like going to involve you in this, Clara. You're going to be totally fine and you're going to be able to stay here and it'll be safe. And so I was like terrified because I was like, okay, I'm not ready. I think soon, but let's do this on my timeline because it's my story. And she just was so insistent. It was like, no, like we we have to say what happened. So I believed at first that it was like like a, a crusade with good intentions. I I trusted her. And then we set out a date two weeks from that point where I would come forward and talk to the school, acknowledge what happened. I do want to make very clear that in this relationship, I screwed up in good amount, but I respected his autonomy and I never assaulted him in the same way that I received it. And so we set a date two weeks from there that we were going to meet up. And 24 hours later, I'm at work. It's a random, I think it was a Tuesday I was manager of a whole department on campus and I love my job. So I had girls working under me and I have someone show up at my workplace and she looks to me and is, hey, you need to drop everything right now and come with me to your dorm mentor's office. I'm like, I have girls working for me right now. Like I'm delegating work. Like I can't just leave. I have to clock out. I have to leave stuff at a good point. She's that's not important right now. You just have to come with me. So I was like, okay, just give me like five minutes to settle my affairs. So at that point, I was shaking and I pretty much knew what had happened. And I called this friend. Little did I know she had me on speakerphone with the dean of women nearby, which was a huge violation of my privacy. 
And so I was crying hysterically and I was like, did you tell them? Like, I trusted you with this. And I, I shouldn't have said this. It was a heat of the moment thing. I was wrong. But I was like, I know things that could get you in the same amount of trouble. But I knew they were private. They stayed with me because I'm your friend. Like, how could you go and do that to me? And I heard some whispering in the background. So that's when I was like, do you have somebody else there with you? But after someone had whispered to her, she's, I think you're manipulating me. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm the one like losing my mind about to be kicked out. And you're saying that I am not respecting you as a person or as a friend. And again, she has the right to to frame the story however she would like to. But this is just my experience. So it more or less was like, she was like, yeah, I just, I couldn't keep it in me. Like I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't sit with the reality of what you've done. And that's when it started really shifting from we're going to punish Ben to like, you have done wrong, Clara. We need to push you out of the school. The super subtle shift. And that's when I realized like, all right, I am screwed. (laughs) Hung up the phone, had the lady that came to my work escort me to the door mentor's office. And I get to the Dina Women's office, sit down, I'm shaking, having a massive panic attack. And of course, there's all the like formal niceties. And you're like, just stop. Like, you you don't have to pretend like this is like anything like polite or kind that's being done. And Dina Women looked at me and said, we know what you've done. And I looked at her and I was like, what do you know? Because And that wasn't me trying to be sly, but there were literally so many elements and facets of the situation that I and I didn't trust my friend at that point. So I had no idea what kind of narrative she had given the Dean of Women. Uh, So Dean of Women essentially sat me down and was like, start at the beginning. And so I had to retell things that I was not okay retelling. And she would ask very invasive questions like, did you enjoy what you all did physically? How many times? When was the first date that it happened? And then they found out that I hadn't told my parents yet because threats had been made against me and my family if I came forward. Ben would say repeatedly, I know where you live. Like, you will pay for it if you tell anyone. So at that point, I was like genuinely worried for my safety. I even told my best friend at the time and he got livid and I thought I was going to come back to my board with bruises genuinely yeah so she asked me very invasive questions and it had me call my mom on the spot so I didn't even get the freedom of telling the people closest to me how I wanted to so my mom started like crying hysterically on the phone it was like I could just hear the disappointment through the phone and that was that wasn't right either I should have been able to tell them at least privately she was literally on speakerphone in the middle of a room with people I didn't trust. And then I kept explaining the situation. The dean of women insisted that I needed to get tested for STDs. And that was something I was indignant about, too, because I was like, OK, I know at least in that area, Ben was honest with me. Like, we hadn't been with anyone else. I was like, can you not trust me on that point? And she was like, no, this is for your own good. So she framed it again. She was violating my autonomy and was like, no, this is for your own good. So that was one of the worst parts of going home was no one would believe me that I was fine on that realm. That was one of the many messed up parts. And then the more I told her, the more I was like, but towards the end, specifically those three weeks before we got kicked out was when it got genuinely scary. There were times where I couldn't give him what he wanted. 
And he would look at me and say, okay, but you owe me your body. You owe me sex. And that was when I was like, okay, I owe you nothing. What are you talking about? And so I tried to tell that to her. And again, at the time, I didn't want to call it what it was. So I just called it like light harassment, light assault. And I was like, I need your help because I think he's a threat to other women. I think he's going to do this again. And at that point, even the three weeks that we were back, he was notorious for hanging out around the freshman dorms at nighttime. That was just like his go-to spot was seeing if there were any freshman women that would give him time of day. So I looked at her and I said, I need your help. And this sentence will forever stay with me. She looked at me and said, if you were repentant enough about the situation, you wouldn't care about the context. So she more or less was like, listen, if you were sorry enough and you truly were holy enough, you wouldn't be asking for our help. So basically she wanted you to just forgive, in air quotes, forgive and then not get justice? I think she didn't believe me. I Uh. think I was bitter or just upset that I was caught and thought I was making it up. Oh, Yeah. And there were, yeah, there's more to the story where constant... My roommate actually saw him back on campus a couple months later. And once you get kicked out, you get that nice little restraining order letter that says you can't associate with anyone at the school and you can't come back on campus. He came back on campus like literally two months after it happened. And my roommate saw him hanging out by the freshman dorms. So she called public safety because she was like, again, I don't think this like this guy is being safe with women. And she told public safety what happened. And eventually it got to the dean of women. And instead of them punishing him for breaking his Bob Jones parole, (laughs) they were like, oh, Clara must have figured out a way to get her roommate to do this. And she's just calling public safety on him because she's bitter. So there was like no consequences for him specifically targeting those women but they just thought I was a mastermind in some way. I literally didn't even know that call was made until six months later. And my roommate sat me down and was like, I did this. I thought it would do something. And I saw public safety not even give like a fly flip about it. So yeah, back to the dear women's office. She told me that sentence. If you were sorry enough, you wouldn't care. I lost it. And I looked at her and I said, listen, if I go back home, I am going to an abusive home situation not physically abusive, but I was like, my my personhood will be pummeled out of me. And my dad has had anger issues for years and years. So I had no reason to think he wouldn't get physical with how upset my parents were with me. And she looked at me. She also said the same exact line to a friend of mine who got kicked out not even six months ago. But she looked at me and said, listen, you can always go to a homeless shelter if you have no other options. So that is a go-to line of hers from what I've heard is if Bob Jones students put themselves in a situation where they don't have a safe home to go to, she will just recommend a homeless shelter, which really shows the love of Christ. (laughs) And again, she told me she's, you should have thought about your abusive home situation before you chose to sin. And it was like, at that point, I was already sorry about what I had done. Morally, I had come to clips with it. I literally had to spend the whole COVID summer by myself figuring out where I stood with God and seeking his face after the fallout of everything. So for her to look at me and pretty much tell me that I 
was not close enough to him to be handling any of this right after I'd gone through like the hardest six months of my life at that time was insulting. And then another thing is she kept leading me on with how I was going to be kicked out. Because I looked at her and I was like, do I get to stay here? I, at that point, I hadn't had any other friends that had been kicked out. So I didn't know the process. I looked at her and I was like, if I tell you enough, do I? It was almost like a police interrogation. I was like, if I give up my sources, can I stay? And <laughs> that wasn't right of me either. But she was like, yeah, maybe you can stay this fall semester. So she baited me with that. And then the longer the meeting went on, the longer she was like, you know what? Yeah, you definitely cannot stay this fall semester, but maybe you can come back in January. And I was like, okay, maybe there's like hope. And again, the only reason I wanted to come back was because it it was better than home at that point. And then at the very end, she looked at me and she's, there was never any chance of you coming back in January. Our policy is that if you get kicked out, you have to spend two semesters, including the one you got kicked out at home. So I just said that to get you to talk. So she acknowledged that she lied to me intentionally. And yeah, just the fact that they wanted me to show nothing but honesty to them, but they couldn't grant me that same politeness of, because I would have just rather preferred them telling me straight out, we will be seeing you till August of next year. Pack your bags, buddy. <laughs> so that was pretty much the whole sit down situation just no grace was being given. They just looked at me. It was like, why didn't you tell us earlier? I just told them again and again. I felt like I couldn't. I didn't feel safe. Uh, they told me within the next 24 hours, I had to have my bags packed. And they told me that I had to be escorted everywhere, like on campus by a dorm mentor. So everywhere I went that night, I wasn't allowed to leave my dorm either. So everywhere I went, even if I went to the bathroom on my floor, a couple doors down, from my room, the door mentor had to stand outside, not outside of the stall, but outside of the bathroom. I was being treated like an active threat to everybody there. She was like in or like nearly outside of my room while I was packing up and crying and saying goodbye to everybody. So I didn't even get privacy to say goodbye. It was like they were trying to monitor me as closely as they could to make sure that I didn't say anything out of anger or anything out of haste to taint other people's views of the university. And so... I thought that Ben was going to have the same restrictions. Not that I really wanted him to. Like it, it was it was not an ideal situation. We should have had the right to say goodbye to anyone we wanted to all over campus. But he had no one escorting him anywhere. He was allowed to like gallivant around campus and say goodbye to everyone he wanted to. He was able to have one last hurrah and he could go to the bathroom and free show. <laughs> so that was just one area in which I saw the disparity between how men were treated on their side of the situation versus how the women were treated and the next morning I had my mom come pick me up before I left I got breakfast with actually my now fiance so that's something good that came out of all this he was by my side for for everything that happened knew the worst of me and still wanted to stay but I felt as if I owed him an explanation or I pretty much just sat down with him that morning and was like, do you want to know anything? I trust you enough. And I feel like I should tell you what's happening because he was, it was really hard on my friends for me to just up and leave within the next 24 hours. And this is in the middle of like week three of school where everyone's having their first tests. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to minimize how hard it was on, on people that I love, but 
I didn't even get a private breakfast with him to explain what happened because my door mentor was within earshot the whole time in the den. Um, she barely even allowed me to go to the den to grab a meal with him. So that was just heartbreaking. The authorities there and staff there said, listen, we're sending you home for your own good. We are here to support you during your time there. And we want to mentor you until you can come back to our school. Pardon my French, but that was a whole load of bullshit because I got maybe one call from the Dean of Women, like maybe a month into it. And she's like, how's your dad? And I'm like, abusive. And she's okay, cool. And that was pretty much the extent of the whole situation. Nobody reached out to me. Nobody, like my friends did, but nobody at the school that would have been responsible for that mentorship that they claimed to value so highly. No one reached out to me. The only thing I did get was two weeks later, I got this envelope from the school. I was like, okay, maybe they're going to set up like someone that like I can keep in touch with until I come back. But it was a very strongly worded letter from the Dean of Women saying that I was not allowed back on campus and that I shouldn't even fraternize with my friends on campus because I would distract them from their studies. And I was... it was written in between the lines, but I was more or less a bad, not trustworthy influence on them and that I couldn't be trusted on campus because of that, because I was just so bad at the situation. I was going to spew whatever I wanted. My mom read that letter with me and made me rip it up because she was livid. She's, you don't need this. This is already. So my mom was very gracious. When she came to quit, she was like, she was mad at the school for me. My parents now still act surprised anytime I bring up the whole, if you were assaulted, then just be sorry about it and it won't matter as much. I brought that up to them and they still act surprised every time where they're like, I don't remember you bringing that up. It was, I brought it up multiple times when I came home because I was still like, I need people's help. And no one took me seriously enough to believe it was true. They just thought I was bitter. I was trying to make a jab at him. And I, in the heat of something big, that was happening. Yes, I did things I was not proud of. Yes, I am responsible for those. But I tried my hardest to not slander him, to not do anything that he didn't deserve. And his whole family pretty much went on a smear campaign against me after the breakup. And once we got kicked out. Yeah, that was the story. And Yeah, I'm so sorry for all that you've been through in that situation. And I'm sorry that you feel like you had to protect his name because you should have been able to come forward with the truth of what happened to you and you should have been believed. And it just, it's horrible that it doesn't sound like his punishment was really that bad. Yes, he was kicked out, but you got all the monitoring and you also got kicked out. And I've just heard so many horror stories of just women meeting with the dean of women i think women have it so much harder at that school than the guys most definitely because with the guys it's usually just like a slap on their wrist or something and and it just it's just so heartbreaking because like you had said in the interview of how they weren't showing christ love at all the slogan of the school is what learn love lead like what the love part is definitely bullshit in that and i and that's the thing is like their love is very conditional yeah you have to agree with them like 100 percent. you have to be exactly 
the kind of person that they want at this school, which is a basically like perfect and also someone who loves to snitch and whatever. And but here you are, like even like Jesus talking about being the hungry, like helping the poor or whatever. And like she's oh, go to a homeless shelter or whatever. And then, you know, you're back in your abusive situation and she calls and you tell her what's going on and she doesn't care at all. And that was something that was when I was at that school was just mind blowing to me to hear about these stories about all these leaders. And you also talked about how she lied to you and admitted to that. And that's something that's very fascinating about cults and within leadership, like the followers have to follow all the rules, but the leadership they don't have to follow the rules. They don't have to go by the expectations that they expect of everyone else because they have that power and control and they use and they abuse that. But I want to get into, so you went back to BJU. What was that like? And I'm glad that you emphasized that. And it's really sad that it was a better situation than being at home. And so in a sense, it's all the lesser of two evils, in a sense, and which Bob Jones is a pretty terrible environment. But you went back there, and how did people treat you after that situation going back? Yeah, so the process of going back was lengthy and just as exhausting as getting kicked out. I think I had my dorm mentor reach out to me like February of 2021, and she told me that if I wanted to reapply, that was when... I could be reconsidered to be a Bob Jones student again. So they made me write a letter expressing how my year at home was and what God had taught me. Essentially, I had to grovel in order to get back. And they took that letter and read it to a panel of people, which included the Dean of Women. They did tell me it was going to be read by to a panel. So I was able to guard my privacy in a way and not spill everything out there. And I tried to be as honest and genuine about it. I tried really hard to not be better during the whole situation. So I wrote that letter. It was one of the hardest things ever. My dad, who contributes to the bad home, actually found the letter on my laptop and read it. It was like, wow, so you pretty much just told them that living at home was hard because of me. And I was like, so that was hard on that point. Bob Jones made me retell something that I couldn't even really tell at home. So once they got the letter, it was like two very long weeks of waiting. And they contacted me and was like, hey, you can come back. You're now cleared to be on campus since you've been reaccepted. And the dean of women, I think, called and was like, I'm so grateful that God has grown you like we said he would. And I'm like, yeah, no thanks to you. Because <laughs> I even had a bad experience with my church at that time. The first week that I came back after being kicked out, my pastor sat me and my parents down and looked me in the face and he was gracious in front of me and was like listen like we're going to get you on the path to healing like you're going to be okay this is a mistake and you've learned from it and then literally right after I left he told my parents I was like she's manipulative don't trust anything she says she will say anything she can to make the situation better or make it look like she didn't sin and I He's allowed to have that opinion of me, but I'd rather him tell it to my face instead of to my parents. And again, I wasn't being treated as an adult. So I didn't get support from my church. 
my parents try to get me to see a Christian counselor that goes to my church. I dug my feet into the ground and was like, if I'm seeing a Christian counselor, I'm going to secular therapy too. And secular therapy was one of the things that like saved my life at that time. I felt so wounded by the church, by believers, that I didn't trust anyone that was in that circle because I didn't think they would take me seriously. And I thought they would just tell me to to repent and to not be angry. And I think there's merit to those concepts, but not in that situation. If someone is bleeding out in front of you, you don't give them a Band-Aid and say, there you go, that'll take care of it. So I didn't even express to Bob Jones how much I had to be responsible for putting myself back together during the gap year. I essentially had no support except for close friends and my therapist. But yeah, I was accepted back. I remember one night I was just, I felt mad at myself for trying to go back because I was like, I, I deserve better than that. So I took a piece of paper and I wrote the pros and cons of going back. And I think that's really what helped me keep my head on my shoulders going back is remembering why I was there. The academics, I've always been a nerd, so I loved the classes and the professors, like the professors are what keeps that university together. They're the ones showing Christ most of the time, not the leadership. So it was the academics, the professors, my really close friends from there that had been faithful, that had been checking in on me, that had told me, listen, Yes, technically you lied to us about a lot of things, but we understand it was a very extreme reading circumstance and I was grateful to get their forgiveness. But then on the other side, I wrote down like literally the cons list was like three times the size of the pros list. But again, I just felt like at that time I didn't have many other options and it felt like family was there and my boyfriend at the time was there too. So packed up my things August of 2021, went back to school. And I sent me a letter with my first week there saying I had to attend mandatory counseling um, for the first semester that I was back. And my acceptance, me staying at the school was dependent on how that counseling went. And if I tried to say I didn't want the counseling, then they would kick me back out for being rebellious and incompliant. So I was really worried that in the counseling, they were going to make me dredge up what happened. And at that point, it was a year ago. So yes, it still hurt, but I had no interest in reliving it. And my dorm mentor, her room was the exact same room where I got kicked out. So even just being in that room was like, (laughs) I would just have a panic attack, like setting foot in like the doorway. But I was very fortunate to get to know my dorm mentor a little bit better that semester. And I don't stand by everything she said or handled the situation with but she looked at me and was like I have no right to make you relive that let's just do a casual bible study and you don't have to tell me anything we'll just do devotions like in silence for 20 to 30 minutes but you can tell me what you want to but I do not expect you to so that was a huge relief at that time to not have to dredge that back up because someone was dredging it back up on campus then had come back as well And he had gotten involved in the ROTC program. And I was was trying to steer clear of him. But one of my good friends at the time who worked at the CLD desk, he just hears everything in the den because of that position. And Ben had been telling people that I was just an outlet for incontrollable sexual urges and that I was easy. He was telling all of the ROTC guys 
which don't exactly have a great women respecting reputation on campus. He was telling them I was easy and that any one of them could get with me if they tried to. And at that point, I was essentially dating again. So not only did that impact me, but it impacted my boyfriend who already was like, it, it was hard for him. It was really hard for him. And there were no consequences for Ben saying all those things. The higher ups knew about it because my roommate, who is, I call her wifey all the time. She is just one of the best things to ever happen to me. She kept contacting the authorities and was like, if you don't do it, I will because I am livid for you. So she was telling them that he was essentially like just like slandering me on campus and saying whatever he wanted to. And they were like, he's just, he's like dealing with like the fallout still. And I was like, the only people I was talking to about the situation was my closest circle and it stayed with them. So I'm not going to say I like treated him like a state. I did talk poorly about him, but it was in like a venting manner to like my boyfriend and my best friend. And that was it. I, I, it wasn't my business to take public. So that was one of the most difficult parts about coming back and just having to see him was like my body would, it was a trauma response. Every time I saw him, I would just go into the closest room and cry. There was never an apology from him. Granted, I didn't verbally or anything apologize to him, but I tried many times the three weeks before we got kicked out. And at that point, I felt since I was the one being assaulted, I didn't owe him anything. And it was safer at that point to not have contact than it was to get right with him. I prayed to God and I was like, you know what, God, just let him know I'm sorry because I cannot see this man or talk to him. Um, and I will not. Then slowly over time, I began running for leadership positions at Bob Jones, which was really hard for me, but also felt like something I was called to. At first, I was like so scared to share my story with people because someone gets kicked out and it's the buzz of the school. So I'm not going to say everyone knew what happened, but almost everyone suspected. And everyone that knew we were dating knew because we both got sent home at the same time. So at first, I was like, nobody can know. This is like my dark and twisty secret. And then I actually was praying. I was like, God, help me to find people that my story can help because there have got to be more people that have been mishandled by this school. And over time, some of my closest girlfriends, even some guy friends, the more I talked to people, the more I realized that my story was needed and that I just had people coming to me like almost every week being like, I had no idea that there was someone else that because no one talks about sexuality at Bob Jones, even if you're abiding by the sexuality they want of nothing till marriage, men and women only. Nobody talks about it. So especially for a woman to have been with someone and to really talk about what they want and what they need is like taboo. So I had people coming up to me being like, I, I had no idea. Like I haven't been able to talk to anyone in my life about this. And the more I heard that, the more I was like, okay, I need to do something about this. God has blessed me with a very stubborn spirit. So I, even though it hurt so much to relive that, I got to the point where I was like, Yes, I wish that this had never happened, but if I can use my story and my experience to even just keep it from happening to one person ever again, then it's worth it. So I slowly ran for positions. I was president of my society for a semester. I was chaplain of my society right after. I was a D group leader. And I was like, I was just floored because I was like, y'all, one, I was floored that they trusted me but I didn't really take that as flattery I just I'm grateful they didn't slap this taboo over me but in a way I almost felt like I was their project where it was like 
look at how destitute and unholy she was before. And through our mentoring, she's now leadership material. And it was like, so privately, my D group was a very open space. My chaplaincy was a very open space. And I was smart about it. So that way I wouldn't get called into anyone's office. But I was like, y'all are more than welcome to question why we do what we do. And I would I shared my testimony in front of like 70 women and told them that I got kicked out and told them how it was handled poorly. And I still can't really believe I did that. The thing is, I didn't feel like I owed anyone anything. I just, I wanted somebody to know if anyone needed to hear it, that I was a safe space and that I got spiritual trauma. So if anyone had any and they felt like they couldn't talk to anyone about it, I was there. So that was one of the sweetest seasons of my life was getting to see that as much as I was like in pain my whole time at college, even just being there and seeing this guy, I had to work with him pretty much in the same building because he was in multiple theater shows and I was working pretty much every single show. I had to watch him start dating again and hear his narrative, the story that he told to his girlfriend. Yeah. So it was hard, but I was, I think I was able to use it for good and use it to have a good platform. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And just, it's so inspirational to see people use their pain and their story for purpose to help other people and, Wow, like I'm kudos to you for speaking up in that situation and talking about your experiences while you're at that school too. And I'm glad they didn't say anything about you telling or sharing your testimony because I know how they can be. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surviving Bob Jones University. It would be greatly appreciated if you could give the podcast a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews helps listeners just like you find the show.